Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. How are we? It's great to be here. For those that don't know me, I'm, I'm Josh. It's absolute pleasure to, to bring the Word uh, to you tonight and to, to grow and to delve into what God has to say to us tonight together. Um, how has your week been? Have you had a good week? How's my week been? Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, some of you know, some of you don't. I actually work in a distribution warehouse. Um, we deal with pallets and trucks and distribute groceries, in fact, to uh, a range of supermarkets. And um, every year they put an opportunity out there for the casual employees to apply to go full-time. And it's just that time of the year, and, and I put myself... Uh, into the ring this year to apply to go full-time, which is really exciting. But one of the requirements of that is that you undergo a pre-employment medical examination and drug screen, which sounds all very daunting. That involves a bit of a functional assessment. You've got to be examined by the doctor um, and the drug and alcohol tests, obviously. Well, I had mine on Wednesday, and it was just Fantastic. So good. I rocked up, did the copious amounts of paperwork that they get you to do, and then the physio came and got me to do my functional assessment. I'd sort of been warned that it was going to be a somewhat fun experience. I was a little bit underprepared. I got into this room, she shut the door, and she said, right, get comfortable, you know, take off your jumper, like you're going to get sweaty and hot pretty quick. And I was like, okay, settle down, look. <laughs> All right. She had me do push-ups, sit-ups, squats, one-legged squats, lunges. I had to get on this step platform and just go up and down, up and down, up and down. I then had to like lift an amount of weight that she couldn't tell me how much it was, but I had to lift it and correctly lift it and put it up and put it down and, and do that on and off and, and so on and so forth. And I suffered. I absolutely suffered. I felt the burn. And as I'm doing these push-ups and you're sort of on the ground and obviously you can look down at yourself while you're doing that, I'm going, man, these like recent gains that I've, I've had have really not been to my advantage for this assessment. <laughs> so I was suffering in this experience on Wednesday. And then Thursday, and especially Friday, I suffered. My legs ached. I could barely walk. There are these steps at work that we have to get up and down like to go out into the, into the trailer yard where all the trucks are. And every time I had to go up and down these steps, I grabbed the, the frame of, with the handrail and just tried to take the weight with my arms, but it was inevitable that my legs were going to just like cane in that experience. This led me to, to an anger. You know, why was this stupid process in place? Why was I hurting from it? Didn't I deserve this position regardless of my physical fitness? Is my suffering as bad as everyone else's? And you look around the world as I contemplated my own suffering, you just have to watch the news or be on social media to see you know, the terror attacks, the political power plays, relationship breakdowns, abuse and neglect, loneliness, hunger. Is my suffering... As bad as this? What's going on with all this suffering in the world? 
And so if you're new to our community, if you're visiting with us, you might be wondering, what is he going on about? Why is he talking about suffering? Aren't we at church? Isn't church a happy place where we talk about all the happy things in life? And he's talking about suffering. Well, we're actually in a series asking for a friend, as you see on the screen. And you might be wondering, as Tran was last week, what is this asking for a friend business? Well, it's actually this social media trend for apparent anonymity. So you'd write something or say something and then you'd write asking for a friend. So basically make it sound like it's, it's not actually your question. So that, you know, it's like this get out of jail free card that you don't have to take responsibility for what you're saying. And tonight, uh, so we've collected questions from you guys and from our other locations and put together a range of topics. And tonight uh, we are looking at suffering the question, the main question for this evening, and then I'll, I'll give you some sub-questions. The main question is, if God is real, loving, and all-powerful, then explain evil, suffering, wars, and death, etc. And then the kind of the questions that are underneath that are, if God created everything, why did he create evil? Why is there suffering? Where is God in the world of suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? Does God create or allow evil? And why allow it if he's good? Did God send me cancer? Or, did God, or does God let the devil mess with me, a la Job? So that is what we are tackling tonight. <laughs> that is why I am talking about suffering. <laughs> that is why I am reflecting on my own suffering from this week as my legs burned. <laughs> and in preparation for tonight, I had this overwhelming sense that especially those who might have asked these questions, might have come tonight uh, potentially looking for me to explain their suffering, explain why they've had a death in the family, explain why they've had a relationship breakdown, explain why they have financial struggle. And as I look at the questions, they seem to hold the nature and character of God in kind of a linchpin we accept and acknowledge the realities of this world and of this life, but we're unsure of how God can be who he says that he is whilst we know and see that these tragedies are occurring around us. So first tonight, I'd love to look at the character and the nature of God. So the three kind of, I guess, questions about God that these questions have, like is God, if God is real or if God is all-powerful, if God is loving and good... And can such a God coexist with evil, suffering, etc.? So firstly, I'd like to look at, is God real? Absolutely, God is real. We know this when we look at the world around us, look at the world that we live in. How is it that the trees live and grow and, and bear flowers and, and, and other parts of the created realm? How is it that the sun rises in the morning, sets in the evening, just as it should? We read in John's Gospel, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Furthermore, G.K. Chesterton wrote, It is absurd to complain that it is unthinkable for an unthinkable God to make everything out of nothing and then pretend 
that it is more thinkable that nothing should turn itself into everything. So God is real, absolutely, and his creation proves this to us. Secondly, God is all-powerful. When God speaks, action follows. You look at the creation accounts and God says, let there be light. And there was light. It happened. God said it and it happened. The psalmist wrote, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. Paul wrote to the church in Rome that the gospel of Jesus is the power that brings salvation to the believers. So God is all-powerful. And thirdly, God is loving and good. He is just, he takes care of his creation and he provides for the needs of his children. He desires to hear the needs that we have and promises to attend to them. He doesn't promise to attend to the need, the apparent need that we might have of a, a new Ferrari in the driveway. I would certainly like a new Ferrari in my driveway. That's not what God promises to attend to. He promises to attend to our needs. It says in Matthew's Gospel account, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in, who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God lovingly provides for his children. And so we see that God is real, God is all-powerful, and God is uh, good and loving. So these are no longer an if question. Our negative experiences that we have in this world are not the way that God created us for us to live in relationship with him. And if these things about God and his character are true and the suffering is real and true, then these things are coexisting. God and suffering are coexisting. So why is there suffering? This is the big question. This is... The inevitable question, the question that we seem to forever be asking when we look at pain and suffering in this world. Why? What is the cause? I'd like tonight to explore the first suffering. God had finished his creation of the world and everything in it, climaxing with the creation of humanity, of men and of women, who are given this purpose, given dominion over the created world, over the land, over the animals, etc. In bearing the image of God, we're given this purpose to, to tend for the land, to tend for the earth. And at the end of it all, it says that God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. There has not been any suffering yet. Mankind is yet to experience suffering. And we find ourselves in Genesis 3. So if you have your Bible uh, with you, flip it open. We're going to have it on the screen, I think, in a moment. Genesis 3, 
from verse 1. Read with me. Okay, it's not going to be on the screen. <laughs> That's all right. It, I'm sure, I think there's pew Bible, so if you, if you really want it in front of you, grab a pew Bible. All right, it's on the screen. Beautiful. Read with me. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me, whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Bear with me as I just grab a drink. This was the beginning of the suffering of humanity. We have the entry of the serpent. John's revelation recorded in the New Testament tells us this this serpent is Satan, the accuser and the deceiver, as we see here with Eve. Eve is convinced 
that pursuing pride and self-elevation is better than the life and purpose that God has for her and for her husband Adam. And we see Eve wandering from God's will even as she dialogues with the serpent. She says, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. This really downplays the prohibition that God gives previously. In chapter 2, it's recorded, And the Lord God commanded them, commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day, in, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Eve has downplayed this prohibition. Oh, it's not—it's not such a, a command not to do that God has given us. And her curiosity of the vision of the, that the serpent places before her is taking over. This vision that the serpent lays before her. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband, who was with her and he ate. She has desire as she gazes upon this fruit, this forbidden fruit. It's like when you're a child and you're told that you can't have something. It just makes you want it all the more. You're in the supermarket. I'm sure the the young parents would understand this. You're in the supermarket, they're in the trolley, they see something that they want and you say, sorry son, you can't have this. It's, and you have good reason, you know, maybe it's unhealthy, maybe it's not what you have intended for them, but they want it even more. And they, as they look at this thing as you're cruising past in the aisle, they want it even more. And the tantrum ensues. I'm, su- I'm sure, please tell me that this is an experience that you've had, it wasn't just my childhood <laughs> wasn't just the terror that I put my mother through. <laughs> and so the desire that Eve had when she looked upon the fruit that, that she was told she could not have, this desire grew and she wanted it even more. It ignites within us this sense of entitlement that we are able to have whatever we want, that we are the true Lord of our lives, and that we are the true Lord of this universe. And this breaks the relationship that we have with God, our Creator. And the result of this, this sin is suffering. The text goes on. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat 
the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For, du- for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Because of our actions as humans, we have separated ourselves from God and from the life that he had for us. Hear me clearly. That is not, this is not to say that you sin terribly and now as a direct consequence of your sin, you have a terminal illness. Please hear me, I'm not saying this. But it is saying that because of the sin of humanity following creation and the sin that we participate in, we now have suffering and pain in this world and in this life because we have separated ourselves from the life and from the relationship uh, to God that was intended for us. We can look at the causes of some of the atrocities throughout history. For example, uh, Nazi Germany and the pursuit of power the subsequent treatment of people of alternate races and religions, you know, they elevated themselves to a position of lordship, to a position of superiority, and uh, lowered another group of people to a position of inferiority. It's exactly the same as or the same principle uh, as in the in the first in the first sin. The desire to elevate ourselves to a position of Lord, to a position of superiority, superior than that in which we are to be. In the same way, the, on the same principle applies to the white Australians' treatment of indigenous people. In electing themselves and electing ourselves as superior and to push to breed out indigenous culture. Again, we as a, a community, as people, have, similar to, to Eve and to Adam, elevated ourselves to a position of Lord, a position that we ought not to hold, and it has caused suffering. It's caused pain. Essentially, the same cause as the suffering at the fall. One person or a group of people came to believe they were entitled to be Lord over their life, the lives of others. And this led them to, and leads us to commit horrendous offences. It's the same cause that leads us to hurt those around us on a daily basis. We contribute to the suffering of this world. Not all of us are starting wars, but we're all failing to live in harmony with God and to live in harmony with those around us. We're failing to put the needs of others above our own. How do we deal with suffering as Christians? We've recognized that we've contributed as humans uh, to the suffering in this world. But now as Christians, how do we deal with the suffering of the world that we experience? And, and what do we do about that? 
How do we, how do we rationalize what's going on? We have what are called theodicies. You may have come across this word. It essentially means a defense of God and his actions in response to the evil of the world or in the world. And throughout the ages, uh, there have been many theologians and scholars that have, or philosophers even, that have come up with uh, theodicies or theories or explanations as to what's going on with, with God and the evil and pain in this world. But there are kind of three like, major or, or general theodicies that are kind of agreed upon. Three ways that generally we as, as Christians have sought to explain suffering and God in this life. The first is divine incomprehensibility, which is acknowledging our limited human understanding suggesting that we are simply too inferior to even seek to understand God and His will and His ways. And we often apply this to natural disasters. You know, we can't, we can't understand why a tornado hit. We just can't understand it. It's divinely incomprehensible. On the positive, it concludes in the trust in God and His goodwill. The second general theodicy is divine punishment. This is often applied uh, when moral evil occurs, that suffering is seen as God allegedly punishing the wicked for their injustices. And the third, which is divine pedagogy or, or teaching, where God uses the evil and suffering in this world to teach us or to grow us spiritually. These three, and all theodicies or explanations, fall short in explaining pain and suffering. To look again at these three, divine incomprehensibility suppresses the questions of God that the Bible encourages Christians to ask of Him, to ask in faith, which is part of being in relationship with God. Second, divine punishment blames the victim and ignores the perpetrator. And one is begged to ask the question, how does it help in a negative situation to throw on top of someone, God's mad at you? It doesn't help the situation. And thirdly, divine punishment, uh, sorry, divine pedagogy or teaching, it causes this stigma to develop that suffer, suffering is inherently a good thing because it, it, it will grow us, we'll become better people, we'll become uh, more mature in the faith. And, and Whilst that's a good thing, we don't want to equate suffering to be good. We, we don't want the stigma to develop. So again, it falls short. And so we are still left asking why. You know, the, These are the explanations we've been able to come up with, and yet we're still asking why. A former lecturer of mine, and he's a pastor as well, Richard Ha. Uh, he said in a lecture once, we ask why because we want to understand and we want to understand because we instinctively feel that if we could just understand, it would help us to cope. Hidden in this desire is the belief that if we understand something, we can then to some degree control it and therefore minimize its impact. 
Thus, what we really want or need stands behind our question of why, that we need to be able to cope. We need comfort and help and healing. And most of all, we need hope. This is what stands behind our question of of why when we look at the suffering uh, that's around us in the world, when we look at the, the struggles in our own lives each day, and we're left asking this question of why, it's because we have a desire within us or a need within us to cope. And if we can somehow understand what's going on around us, that we can control the circumstances and better be able to cope. It's easy for me to stand here in Western society uh, as a white man, English speaking, to surmise about suffering, to, to give my musings on suffering, if you like. And I recognised that, and I thought, actually, I'd, I'd love to, to, to get into uh, some more of, of, of what's going on and perhaps provide a bit more of a tangible experience to this. A friend of mine, he's a, he was a pastor, and he now lives in chronic debilitating pain, which forced him to retire young, and he's now generally housebound. I asked him, you know, what do you make of the suffering? This, I think it's around 10 years that it's been for him. What do you, how, how do you deal with this? What's, what's been your process? Surely you've wrestled with the question, why, the question that we're looking to tackle tonight. And he said that we buy into this idea that good people will be blessed and bad people will suffer. And so when tragedy strikes, we ask what we might have done to deserve such a circumstance. And as Christians, he he goes on, he said, we often look to the latest healing guru that might be travelling through the city. Please don't hear me wrong. God can and does heal. But so often when the answer that we get is not yet, this can be damaging to our faith and trust in Jesus because we've, well, we haven't put our faith and trust in Jesus. We'll put our faith and trust in this healing guru or this, this healing ministry. The book of Job, and I'd love to spend the evening going through Job, uh, but you know we don't have all night. But the book of Job tells of a righteous man who has everything taken from him, his health, his family, his property. And the book doesn't look to answer the question of why there is suffering in this life, but rather what it is that we are to do with suffering. And when it comes our way, what do we make of it? How do we respond? My friend said that as his time of suffering went on, his question moved from why to how do I cope and how do I help others cope? And this is much of what Job gets to. Who watches the cricket in the summertime when it it comes around? 
Yeah, we've got a few hands. Fantastic. So who knows what happens in Sydney on day three of the test in January every single year? Pink day. That's right. The Sydney pink test day. Those of you, some of you might be sort of sitting there going, oh, I'm not really sure what we're talking about. <laughs> That's all right. Glenn McGrath, who was an Australian cricketer, uh, he had to deal, I think in 05, his wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I think she ended up dying in, in 2008. And during this time, um, so he and his family had to deal with, obviously, the diagnosis and the pain and suffering and her eventual death uh, from breast cancer. So Glenn and his family had to deal with coping with their pain and suffering. And as they dealt with that, it led them to deal with, led them to how can we help others who are dealing with this? And as a result, the the Glenn McGrath Foundation was established uh, that I think looks to help uh, with awareness of breast cancer and research and and, research. and people and families that are dealing with with cancer and it looks to help them with coping. And so we have this this pink day uh, in the cricket. But again, as as my friend said, and as as it, it seems in Glenn's story, we move from this why question when we are suffering to how do I cope And then how do I help others cope? And I'd love, if if you're in a discipleship group, for you to talk about this 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 week. When you're suffering, how do you deal with this question of why? And how have you coped in the past? Or how are you struggling struggling to cope? If you're not in a discipleship group, this is 100% a shameless plug for discipleship groups. I absolutely 100% uh, support them. I'm in a discipleship group. I love it. It's like one of my favorite things to do in the week because we, we get together, we gather, uh, we're in community. We wrestle with these things. We wrestle with our struggles. And we share in, in, in the joys of, of life and in the joys of, of knowing Jesus and, and, yeah, all that goes with that. So please, if you're not in a group, um, come and have a chat with, with me or any of the leaders that stood up earlier. Uh, we'd love to um, get you connected and, and, and have you experience uh, this great community that, and this great expression of, of the church that Jesus has given us. So as Christians, our hope is found in Jesus. When we experience suffering, when we look at the suffering in this world and the pain in this world, Our hope at the end of the day is found in Jesus. I certainly want to endorse the fact that I'm not standing here saying, um, Christians, become a Christian, you don't have to deal with suffering. We definitely deal with suffering. In fact, as Christians, becoming a Christian, we're joining in Jesus' suffering. We endure suffering because we know Jesus is right there with us. That is the hope that we cling to uh, when we encounter suffering. He's been there. Jesus has been right there. 
He's been accused. He's been deceived. He's been deserted. He was mocked. He was spat on. He was beaten, whipped. Ultimately, he was crucified. And that's not even like, that's not even the end of it. Like, he got crucified. And then, like, hanging there on the cross, he's taken on the sin of the world. And as a result, the separation from the Father that comes from the weight of the world's sin. That is the ultimate suffering. And so our hope as Christians is in clinging to Jesus, clinging to the fact that he knows of the pain. He knows what it means to suffer. And he doesn't invite us to come and live a a suffering-free life or a pain-free life. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. John Piper says, The purpose of God in creating the universe is to display the greatness of the glory of His grace supremely in the suffering of His Son. That's yesterday. Today, the summons. Will you join the Son in displaying the supreme satisfaction of the glory of grace in joining Him on the Calvary road of suffering because there's no other way the world is going to see the supreme glory of Christ. How is this world going to see the satisfaction that we have in Jesus, in resting in Him, if we present to this world as being satisfied with this world? If we present in being satisfied with the things that we can buy, the things that we can make, And we know that the things of this world don't satisfy our question of why when it comes to suffering. Suffering goes on and we're still standing around in this world wondering why. So clearly this world cannot satisfy that. The Lord said to Paul in his suffering, my grace is sufficient for you For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. If we look to the things of this world for hope, then we're missing the point. We're not going to be satisfied when we suffer. We will not find hope when we suffer and when we see the suffering around us. And as Piper rightly said, we will not share the hope of Jesus with this world if we do not look to Jesus in our suffering and and show that we are suffering and that Jesus is our hope in that.
Paul wrote elsewhere to the church in Corinth, if it is in Christ we have hope in this life, if in, sorry, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But if in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Our hope is in Christ. The world will see the glory of God and his grace in our satisfaction in Jesus and the hope that he offers amidst our suffering. And so the answer to the big why question of why am I suffering? Why is this world suffering? Why are those around me suffering? It's to fly the flag of Jesus. It's to, to, it's to declare to our community and to our culture that hope is to be found in Jesus. There is no other purpose in suffering but to magnify and to point to Jesus. In a moment, we're going to share in communion. We're going to remember the suffering of Jesus. The bread, his body broken, and the juice, his blood that was shed for us. The suffering of Jesus brings hope to us. And together, as Christian community, we're going to remember this hope and encourage each other so that as we go from this week and so that as we experience suffering and we see others around us suffering, that we can point each other to Jesus and we can be encouraged that our hope is in Jesus. And that's where we stand. We're in his family, in his camp. If you're not yet Christian, I would love for you tonight to consider the suffering in your life. What do you make of it? Are you at a loss for why you're suffering or why you're seeing suffering in this world? Do you want Jesus to journey with you in suffering? I would love to extend that offer to you tonight. For you to, to, to journey through suffering with Jesus. And so in this time, uh, I'd invite you to consider this, um, but also to pray. And if you're sort of sitting there going, well, I'm not quite sure how to pray. If you feel comfortable, ask someone to, to pray for you. The DG leaders that stood up earlier, can you just like raise your hands again? If you want someone to pray for you, like any of these people are more than willing to pray with you and for you. 
this time of communion is, is where we, um, as the body of Christ, remember what, what Jesus has done for us. And in this time, if you're not yet part of the body, uh, we'd ask that uh, you, you don't actually participate in this, but you remain in your seats. And, and again, as I said, please consider what we've talked about. Consider Jesus and, and ask someone to pray for you or pray. Ask God to reveal himself in your suffering, to satisfy you with his hope in your suffering. Will you pray with me now? Jesus, we thank you so much that you did endure suffering for us. That you endured suffering in this world. The pain that we can identify with. Physical pain. But so much more than that, Jesus, you experienced the weight of the sin of this world. We thank you for that, Lord, because through that we have hope. Through that we have confidence to stand up amidst our suffering and sing praise and and rejoice. Lord, I pray that as we go about our week, we can be encouraged knowing that you took the pain and the suffering and that you provide hope for us. Lord, as we go through suffering, as we experience it, as we see it around us, Lord, encourage us. Encourage us that your grace is sufficient for us. Help us to understand that. Help us to to know that with our hearts. And Lord, as we remember you in this time and this meal together, May your name be glorified. May we be encouraged uh, to point each other to you, to place you at the centre of our lives, to reorient our lives around the hope that you offer us. Lord, walk with us this week in our times of struggle. Give us hope. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.